You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Hey, everybody, it's Dan, and welcome to the Savage Lovecast, the once a week out loud version of my terrifyingly, distressingly, uh, disgustingly graphic sex advice column, Savage Love. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage today for details. Hey, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old straight female, and I've recently reconnected with an old fuck buddy after like a year apart. Um, the big difference between the two times is that now I give him head, and he's also the first person that's ever come in my mouth, and he knows that. Um, he really likes getting head, but he has a really fucked up perception of what head is. To me, it's kind of a big deal because I think it's a lot more intimate than vaginal sex. I was the first to give him head, and he's 20 because he always turns other girls down because he thought girls only gave head if they didn't want to have sex, and I explained that it was the total opposite for me. Um, we've hooked up a few times since we reconnected, and he's never gone down on me. Our sex is really good, but he's really into, um, and he's really into like my nipples and making me squirm, but not oral. I asked him if he's ever gone down on a girl, and he said, no, I just think it's kind of weird, and asked if I wanted him to go down on me, and I gave him a sarcastic, I guess not, and he said, good. My question is, do you think I'm just too conservative about oral and reading into the situation too much, or do you think it's worth a try to change his mind? And if it is, what should I say to him? All right, I tried to call you, uh, but I couldn't get you because uh, I had to listen to music while I waited for your phone to fucking find you, and the music was rap. And there's only so much rap I'm willing to listen to uh, to help somebody out with a head problem. Um, and you have a head problem, and it's not just between your legs or the fact that his head isn't between your legs, it's what's between your fucking ears, lady. Uh, when he said, I guess you want me to go down on you, the correct response was not... I guess not, sarcastic. The correct response was, you bet your fucking life, douchebag. And you have leverage here. You're going down on him. You're blowing him to completion. You're allowing him to come in your mouth, um, which is terribly gracious of you, I must say. Uh, and he has to learn to eat and like pussy. That's going to be expected of him. He is a young man now. Uh, the women he encounters later in life are going to expect oral as a matter of course. I have said, and I will say again, that oral comes... Standard. Any model that arrives without oral should be returned immediately to the lot. You are not doing him any favors by letting him weasel out of his oral education, which he needs to get now. And if not, you, who? Well, then his next girlfriend. But when he encounters his next fuck buddy or girlfriend, he's going to go to her with this attitude of uh, privilege and expectation. He's going to expect blowjobs and expect that nothing will be expected of him in return because you made no demands in return. If you enjoy giving him head and you want to continue giving him head and it turns you on to give him head and you feel like it's really intimate and sexy uh, and it works you up, do it. Keep doing it. But you have leverage. You have to tell him, look, I want to be pleased this way too and you need to get over this and I'm going to help you. You're going to be the Florence Cunnilingus Nightingale in his life and you're going to help him get over this oral phobia of his uh, now, 
Because better now than, you know, eight or nine girl frustrated girlfriends and dumpings into the future. Right? So, ovary up, man up, testy up, whatever we want to call it, so we're not sexist fuckwits on this program. Um, and start making some demands. Because you have leverage here. I don't know if you realize it, but the lever is his dick in your mouth, and you should use it. Hey, Dan Savage. I have sort of a weird question here, or concern, I guess, because I'm, uh, I'm sort of a motherfucker who was just dumped, and uh, I, I'm completely empathetic to my now ex-girlfriend. Um, but it, like, like, is my fault, and I know it, and I just sort of want to know what I can do to fix it. Basically, I'm, like, kind of a liar and cheater. You know, like, our relationship on its own was fine and, like, like really good, like, really full of love. Like, I definitely, like, love her and she loved me. And But, like, there are times where I'd be, like, on my own and I would just, like, go on the Internet and talk to girls and, like, like flirt with them and hit on them and stuff like that. And it would be very, like, I don't know. Like, I looked at it more pornographically than anything else. And uh, I did it, like, a lot. <laughs> and uh, she found all my, like, saved archives, which, I mean, in itself, like, the fact that I saved the archives is sort of, like, obviously, I maybe subconsciously wanted to get caught or whatever, but, uh, I don't know, like, I just sort of, like, it's like she found them all and read them all and was just like, oh my god, this is, like, the worst possible thing, you're cheating on me, and I don't even disagree, like, yeah, that's cheating, I'm, I'm a piece of shit, um, and I mean, I don't know, like, is that, like, sex addiction, or, like, like, what do I, like, do I just, can I talk to, like, a regular therapist about this? And, uh, like, I don't, like, she'll never trust me again. And I don't think she should, like, I don't think she should take me back. You know what I mean? Um, but, I mean, the the problem here isn't, like, me wanting to save the relationship. The problem is, holy shit, I'm 24 years old. How bad is this going to be when I'm, like, 34? You know what I mean? Your girlfriend may disagree with me. Sorry, ex-girlfriend. Uh, you're not a piece of shit. You're a horny 24-year-old straight dude with access to what really amounts to interactive pornography. Uh, it used to be the porn just laid there, sometimes printed on glossy pages, and it couldn't really talk to you. Um, and now porn has uh, evolved. And uh, personal websites and sleazy websites where you can not only look at the shiny pictures that glow on your screen, but talk... Uh, perhaps, to the person that is in the picture. You know, you say you've been chatting with a lot of girls on the internet. I'm not so sure, and you shouldn't be so sure, that all the girls you were talking to on the internet were girls. Uh, there's a lot of uh, gay dudes out there who put up pictures of ladies because they like to uh, talk to the straight dudes while they beat off, which is what you were doing. Um, you were enjoying a kind of interactive pornography. Uh, you never fucked anybody else. You're exploring through fantasy. Does it make you a piece of shit? Is it cheating? Well, your girlfriend regards it as cheating. And cheating uh, is subjective. Two people in a relationship really get to come to terms uh, about what they uh, are going to define as cheating or ha as having had cheated in their relationship. You know, there's some people who don't regard oral sex with others so long as the uh, partner is watching as cheating. So it's really broad uh clearly uh you're a horny 24 year old you know how bad is it going to be when you're 34 really bad 
Um, you know, when I was 24, there was no internet. There was no interactive pornography. You couldn't go online every time you were out of town and flip through the possibilities, uh, the, the, all the people you could cheat with, all the people who are online nominating themselves for no strings attached sex, gay and straight, um, People, by the time you're 34, it's probably going to be a chip implanted in your brain, and you're not even going to have to have a computer, and you can just look, you know, close your eyes and watch the porn interact with the sleaze bags on the insides of your eyelids. So it's only going to get worse. Uh, as it has over the last 30 years, right? As it has over the last 10 years. It's only going to get easier to arrange uh, chats and assignations and infidelities uh, with the internets, particularly after they jam the tubes right into our brains. So this is a problem for you. If controlling yourself around this shit is a problem for you, if uh, you know this desire to chat with others and sort of fantasize about the sex you could be having with others if you weren't involved with someone else uh, is a problem for you, there's only really two things you can do. You can sort of cold turkey, don't call it a sex addiction that's so tired, just cold turkey, avoid the internet. You know, avoid the sex rooms, avoid the chatting uh, as best you can, and don't beat the, don't beat yourself up too much if every once in a while you jump in there and indulge, and don't fucking save your chats you goddamn moron any more than every time you had a masturbatory fantasy you would write it all out and leave that notebook by the side of the bed for the girlfriend to find or the boyfriend to find or the mom to find or anyone to find you know your interior fantasy life is your interior fantasy life and really what the web does a lot is allow you to you know type about your interior fantasy life with somebody else who's doing the same thing who you may never meet and may never want to meet and may not actually be a lady so you either avoid the internet and avoid those sorts of chats and destroy those records when you do succumb, or, and I recommend this, you find someone who, you know, if you're incapable of uh, feigning, uh, you know, complete and total sexual devotion, which is a complete and total uh, lie, and the only people who, uh, you know, that, that's only something you can feign. It's not something anyone actually experiences. Nobody actually wants to have sex with just one person for 60 fucking years. The mind and the eye and the right hand and the, you know, the laptop computer wander and always will. If you can find somebody who's realistic about that, who realizes that, you know, being with a man means, you know, the test of his love and devotion is not, as I've said a billion times, that he uh, doesn't want to sleep with other people, but that he refrains from sleeping with other people because he's going to honor the commitment he made to you if you have a monogamous commitment. If you can find a woman who's more realistic about the fact that you're a dude, not a sofa, and you're going to want to fuck other people, you can incorporate this kind of, you know, a certain allowance for this kind of fantasy, you know, and, and using the internet as a masturbatory tool into your relationship where she gives you a little bit of a green light. You do her the courtesy of not rubbing your nose in it, not saving chats, not fucking other people. Uh, but you're not expected to pretend that you don't have the means and the opportunity to get online and have what really amounted to uh, just some really great wanks, right? Hi, Dan. I'm Elizabeth, and I'm 20 and straight. And I have a problem, and I don't know what to do, and I'm hoping you can help me. There's this guy that I've known for a year now, and I've slowly, like, gotten close to him, slowly, because I have, I just don't like trusting people that easily, and I really liked him, and we ended up being co-workers. First, we were classmates, and then we were co-workers, and we became super, super close, 
and I really, really was thought something was going to come of it. And then last night, he, like, asked me to go on a walk with him, and I do, and he holds my hand and asks me how I feel about him, and I tell him everything. And I'm expecting him to tell me that he feels the same way, but instead he tells me that he's been dating our professor for the past three years, and it's the professor of the class that I met him in, and it's so fucked up, and, like, I just don't even know what to think, and, like, I don't know what to do with working with him, and I don't know what to do with the whole situation. I just don't know what to do. I'm just freaking out and, like, feel sick all the time, and I can't stop thinking about it. So if you could help me at all, I would appreciate it really. I would really, really, really appreciate it a lot. Sometimes we get a comments at the podcast, you know, via email saying that people really like it when I get people on the phone and it feels more like a real radio show when I get people on the phone and I talk to them. Um, and I actually like those kind of calls better myself, which is why we encourage people when we give out the phone number at the end of the show to include a phone number so I can call them back. And we've been calling people back like crazy this weekend today. And nobody's fucking home. You might want to leave a number where, you know, if you want me to call back. And some people beg me to call them back where we can actually fucking reach you instead of like an 88-minute recording of some rapper rapping. I'm really tempted to just start... You know, when I get those people with the outgoing messages, 30 minutes of rap, uh, which I really don't enjoy, that I'm going to go onto their voicemail and record all of Glitter and Be Gay from Candide. It's like an aria, it's a musical, uh, it's really great, it's like 80 minutes long, and people who don't like musicals fucking hate it. And I assume if you like rap, you won't like it. Um, and I'm going to start doing that to people, but uh, I digress. On to your problem. Um, tried to call you, couldn't get through. Um, all you need to know about this jackass who took your hand and asked you how you feel about him, which is very leading, is that he is an emotionally manipulative, sadistic asshole. That's all. You don't have to wonder what's really up with him. He's not someone you can fix. He enjoyed really, you know, opening a door and letting you fall through the trap uh, in the floor on the other side, um, it was cruel, in the extreme, kind of unforgivable, right? You sound really hurt, so fucking have nothing to do with this douchebag. Don't hang out with him, don't offer him anything, don't assume that he's been damaged by his relationship with his professor, or he's really soulful or interesting or whatever. He is an asshole. And that is all you need to know. You pull your hand out of his hand and go, wow, you're not the person I thought you were. If you would do something like that, that cruel, and I want nothing to do with you, fucker, ever again. Get mad, cauterize the wound, and stay the fuck away from him. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today because you know there's more room on your iPod. More room on your iPod for more than just the Lovecast. There was room on mine for more than just the Lovecast too. So again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for your free audiobook today.
Hi, Dan. I really enjoy your show. Um, I have a question about sexual addiction. <clears throat> My 45-year-old brother has recently um, is going to serve time for the second time, uh, not because he's a pedophile, not because he is a rapist, but because he gets caught at his jobs looking at porn. He um, masturbates, I think, uh, uh, getting... Um, sexual favors from prostitutes. He gets caught and, and um, is being uh, sentenced this time as a felony instead of a misdemeanor because this has happened so much. I did a little research on the web, and there aren't a lot of statistics out there for um, can somebody be fixed uh, and how do you fix sexual addiction? Uh, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of research out there on, on the web. It also mentions that usually this kind of behavior is a result of trauma or sexual abuse, and, um, but not always. And so I just wondered if you could shed a little light on um, sexual addiction in general. Hey, Holly, it's Dan. Hi. Got your message about your brother. Uh, Thank you. Sorry about his felony conviction, but clearly he was up to more than looking at porn, masturbating, and visiting prostitutes. Was he masturbating in inappropriate places? Yes, in his car. In his car, exposing himself to people. Yeah, yeah. And what can be done about that? Uh, not a whole fuck of a lot. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there's one article um, that I found that you might want to look up uh, at the New York Times by, scrolling back up, Lauren Slater, about <laughs> a guy named Kafka, a doctor named Kafka. You know, this doctor treats the guys who he describes as, you know, some of his light cases, uh, the old standbys of masculine misery, compulsive porn watchers, compulsive clients of prostitutes, and men incapable of monogamy. And one of the things that he's found that's helped these guys is antidepressants. But don't antidepressants suppress your sexual appetite? Because I think he's been put on those before and wouldn't stay on them because then, you know, he yeah, couldn't... They do also suppress your sexual appetite. That's one of the known side effects. But if my sexual appetites were landing me in prison on felony charges, I think I'd opt for suppression of my sexual appetites. Yeah. So that your brother, you know, your brother might want to revisit that decision he made to not take antidepressants for that reason. Not that I think he's chemically castrated, personally. Yeah. Um, I think we come down a bit too hard on, you know, the old flashers, particularly masturbators and cars. If he's not doing anything that makes somebody individually feel threatened, if he's not, like, showing up at somebody's window and masturbating or stalking women, and I'm assuming he's not... No, I don't think so. I mean, it, this has been a very bizarre journey I, just over the years because I'm, I'm not real connected with him, but his wife of 10 years is like, that's it, I'm divorcing him now, and this is the second marriage that's ended. So, I mean, clearly he can connect with people, but he just she's been trying to get him help, and it seems like most of the places where people can get help are very, um, very strong sort of Christian background kind of places. And so um, there's a real gross twist with that for me. And so, um, you know, when he was in jail the last time, you know, he's proselytizing to people, but not 
you know, acknowledging his own problems. So, and without getting too specifics, we don't want to, you know, needlessly expose him. Uh, he's been jailed twice now for this stuff. Yeah. So it can't be your garden variety going to prostitutes a little much or masturbating in a car alone in the middle of the night in the dark and a cop happens to find him. You don't think so? Well... Well, I mean, that's are you all the information. With the specifics of these. No, things? no, I, I don't know a whole whole lot other than he just keeps getting caught, and you know. Well, if he keeps getting caught, he's seeking to get caught, or he's doing something threatening that's making people feel very uncomfortable and at risk, and and you know, prompting those people to call the police. Right. So I wouldn't, you know, he's your brother, and you don't want to think the worst of him, but you don't want to give him a free pass either. What is your take on um I'm 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 sort of I'm I'm so detached from the situation but in talking with my mom she just beats herself up over and over and over again. Is there any advice you can provide on how do you how do you console a mom or a dad who's with, just I would console Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> good wombs have born bad sons. Um, yeah. They say what says about Richard the uh, Third. <laughs> And mom, you know, nobody, the science of human sexuality, the human brain is so complicated and human sexuality is so complicated. It's not like your mom you know, made him chocolate chip cookies once when she promised oatmeal raisin and it made him into a pervert, right? Or gave him these, these issues. People can have crossed wires and chemical imbalances that can make them nuts in all sorts of ways. Um, and your mother shouldn't beat herself up over it. But if he's, is it curable? Because based on a lot of the stuff that I've been reading in it's terms not, of the statistics, it's, it's just, it's not. It That's control, it. You can control it if you're motivated to control it. You know, there are people with uh, who are attracted to children out there who are cursed with that and don't act on it their whole lives and don't have 400,000 pornographic images of children on their computers and don't rape anybody. Uh, and your brother can control it too if he is so motivated. If after his first arrest and term in prison he wasn't so motivated, I really doubt his second uh, tour in prison is going to motivate him either. And if he had yeah. this opportunity to be on antidepressants and it helped him with this compulsive sexual acting out and and clearly sexually threatening someone somewhere, perhaps, and he turned and he turned it away because it, you know, negatively impacted his libido. Right. That is just something that that is someone who's choosing to be beyond help. And you, uh, you know, he's your brother. You don't want to wash your hands of him, but you have to recognize where you can help and where you can't help. And if someone isn't willing to help himself, there's not a lot you can do except be a part of the negative consequences. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you have to pull away from people so they understand just how serious something is and that they are, you know, that they need to make changes or there's going to be negative consequences beyond just fucking prison. Like, isn't that bad enough? But, like, you and your mom pulling back, not offering him your unconditional support. Well, I mean, I think he's about every to, fucking yeah. Because I'm, I'm concerned that you don't know exactly what he was doing to land in prison twice. You know, that's not... John's... Don't get sent to prison often at all. And, you know, guys who are just masturbating in the middle of the night alone in a car somewhere and got caught don't often get sent to prison. Like, there's something more there. 
yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's in the car where people can see them and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I don't know this. I, like I said, I'm, I'm sort of a distant person. I live in another state than he does. And <clears throat> our family's not real tight. So, but, you know, I think my mom feels the worst about it. And I think he's sort of just, I mean, he's, it feels like he's just so broken. He's beyond repair. And that he's, he's sort of, sort of given up on himself too. And so, you know, he's facing a divorce. My mom is, as painful as it is, I think she's decided that she's not going to have anything to do with him. I mean, he's about to hit as bottom as you can get, but I don't know. And perhaps you know, that's for the best, that he hit bottom, that he realized that his refusal to grab what tools are at his disposal to control this problem are going to cost him, you know, is going to cost him everything, including the support of his family, including contact with his family. Yeah. Do you think that could result in, um, you know, like somebody taking their own life? That was, I think that's my biggest concern. Is yeah, that it can, it can absolutely result in someone taking their own life. Yeah. All sorts of things can result in someone taking their own life. And there's lots yeah. of people who are sexually compulsive who, you know, live to 100, and there are people who no one thought uh, had any problems at all in their life and weren't sexually compulsive who take their life at 25. So it's not like, you know, B, A follows B or... Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess A doesn't follow B. It's not like B follows A. But... Yeah, that's potentially a risk. I would, if I were in your shoes, you know, I have siblings, um, and if I were in your shoes, I would maintain some contact with him via post. I would write him uh-huh. letters and really encourage him to get back on antidepressants, even at the, the price of his libido, which is the source of his problems. Right. And to seek mental help to seek professional help when he gets out of prison. And, he, and for he, him to, he said, this is something he's going to have to control all his life or he's going to wind up back in prison. Yeah. I mean, he's had 10 years of therapy. <laughs> and then it's just, he's broken. He's just super broken, I think. What what was the name of that book again? He said it was by Kafka, but I, I didn't... It wasn't think- a book. There's a sex researcher out there um, named Martin Kafka who treats patients with according to the New York Times, persistent deviant sexual arousal. Think exhibitionism, fetishism, pedophilia, blah, blah, blah. Um, that kind of language makes me uncomfortable because once upon a time I was characterized as a person with persistent deviant sexual arousal, homosexuals were. Mm. You know, and I'm disinclined to see fetishism as as a deviant, since most people have at sure. least one fetish, I think that's normal. Sure. But if someone's fetishism uh, is ruining their lives, and if someone you know is burdened with you know pedophilic desires or compulsive exhibitionism, those things are in need of intervention. Just if only because you know pedophilia is absolutely one hundred percent wrong and it's rape. And exhibitionism, there's no tolerance for in our culture anymore. And you will wind up in prison and be labeled a sex offender and not be able to live or work in most places. Right. And so he's got to get out in front of this. Or, and if he doesn't, if he refuses to, you and your mom need to accept that he has opted to destroy his own life. Wow. Okay. 
Okay. All right. Well, there it is then. Okay. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, it was very helpful. Okay. All right. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Hi, I'm 24 and my husband is 26. We've been together on and off for about five years, but married for three. Um, you know, in many ways, um, our sex life is great, um, but he has a very high sex drive. He even masturbated in the hospital before and after he had brain surgery when he was very sick. And if we have sex, like yesterday we had sex three times, he still masturbated another three. Um, my problem isn't with how much he masturbates, you know, I don't care, it makes him happy, but he likes to masturbate on household items, um, such as the blanket on the couch or the blankets on our bed, and he likes to just, he never washes them, he just leaves the blankets there, then you pull it up over yourself and feel this wet, sticky spot, and you know what happened. Um, I've talked to him about, to him about this in the past, but... He always says that um, it kind of turns him on to think of this this stealth ejaculate that he leaves around. And it's also more convenient. He doesn't have to remember to bring a sock or a towel or something with him. Um, I'm wondering if there's a way to address this question I, or this with him because I just find it repulsive. Hello, it's Dan. Oh, hi. How are you? Thanks for calling. Oh, oh, you're good. welcome. You're welcome. I I'm glad I've never been an overnight guest in your house. No. Because <laughs> I'm really squeamish. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I actually was, um, guilt and shame when I used those words, that's not your thing at all in terms of sex. I was using them in terms of being disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is kind of disgusting, and it's rude, and it's uh, inconsiderate. Uh, and it's really selfish of him to, and part of what turns him on when someone has this kind of uh, fetish for you know, leaving their ejaculate everywhere in places where other people are going to encounter it. And I've gotten letters from people at Savage Love who would masturbate on their friends' toothbrushes at different <laughs> Is It is a hostile act. Like, part of what turns them on is... The, the, the rudeness of it and the violation of it. So it's not just, you know, a little byproduct that you are disgusted and feel violated. It is the point. Yes. And that ain't okay. Yes. You know what I mean? Clearly he has this desire. Like, he has a desire to leave snail trails everywhere for the woman he loves, and yet some part of him wants to violate. And that, you know, that's cool. Like, I have a boyfriend and I love him and huge parts of me want to violate him all the time. It's part of what keeps our sex life interesting is that we're able to incorporate that kind of dynamic into our sex life without it being non-consensual. Yes. And this is non-consensual. It's not consensual, and, you know, I mean, I have offered him other options. I've even said, you know, you could come on me because it's easier for me to wipe it off than it is to go to the laundromat and wipe, you know, uh. <laughs> or and go to the laundromat and wash all of the blankets in the house. But, um, yeah, and it does. It seems like... Um, like a dog who pees on the floor. It, and, you know, part of it does. It, 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 it is. And, and you really need to have it out with, like, you need to decide if this is the price of admission you're willing to pay because it's going to be like this forever. Right? Yeah. So is he worth it? Like, is the are the crusty blankets on the sofa in the living room worth him? 
where you know is that is putting up with that something you're willing to do all your life to be with him and, and it's a sort of question you need to ask early on in the relationship hopefully you don't have kids yet well we do and it's it's you know to a large part I know who I married and you know there's kind of no surprises with him and I love him and if this is part and parcel of being with him it seems relatively minor I mean you are gracious, <laughs> and he should get down on his fucking knees and kiss your feet every morning before he goes and puts <laughs> off on every goddamn surface in the house. It, it, the only thing that you can do then is work out some compromises where, you know, there are places where you are willing to be violated like this and disgusted like this, like the blankets in your room, all right, the blankets in the living room, not okay, the blankets, you know, the carpets, wherever, the curtains, like, you have, he should be willing to channel this into places where you'll still get, he'll still get to, you know, delight in that grossed out feeling that is going to wash over you when you encounter an unexpected slick or crusty spot, but you're not going to encounter them every goddamn place you go. Exactly. And it is it is fairly limited in that he almost, he, it is like a dog. He has his favorite places and, you know, it just, um, it's just something that I had tried to talk to him about and not being sure I even understood this behavior. I'm thinking, how do I have this conversation so that he understands what, you know, I'm telling him. <laughs> well, you said he listens to the podcast, so hopefully he'll hear what we're saying now. He does, and I told him that I had called you, mm-hmm. and he was excited. He said he was interested to hear your opinion. He probably <laughs> beat off on the phone this morning. <laughs> we're probably speaking to each other through a thin layer a fine film of his spunk right now, which makes me want to hurl, um, which will turn him on, perhaps, if he's a little bi about all this. You know, we take the good with the bad with our partners, particularly after we've uh, scrambled our eggs and spunk and made kids. Um, And if you're willing to accept this as part of the price of admission, he should be, like I said, and he's listening, getting down on his fucking knees, kissing your feet every goddamn day before he beats off on everything. I'll have to um, record you saying that, and I'll and, just play it back. And I wish, I wish he could find a way, you know, sometimes if you talk to people about the underlying sort of psychological currents that really f- feed their fetishes or, or inform their fetishes, if he can understand it's about this ritualized violation, that sometimes people, they can find other ways to, to you know, to scratch that itch that aren't the, the, you know, the compulsive way they've been doing it since they started beating off when they were 14 years old. I pity his poor mother the <laughs> house he grew up in. He's probably been doing this all his life um, since he started ejaculating. Um, he can, if he thinks about it, if he thinks about what's the root of this, like what is behind this expression, what, you know, what is turning him on you know, at, at, at bottom, at the base, he may be able to find other ways to incorporate this kind of quasi-erotic violation of you uh, into your shared sex life in a way that isn't uh, that doesn't upset you quite so much. Well, it definitely or is not. <laughs> he may <laughs> not, even with uh, having listened to that. He may not. Well, I think that idea of you know having it something taboo um, turn him on is something that's kind of present throughout his personality and is expressed in some more socially acceptable ways and then one very glaring unacceptable one 
And I, so, you know, I keep an eye on him too. Uh, we just had spoke to somebody whose, you know, brother was caught masturbating in public and uh, got into trouble with the law. I'm not saying that your husband has that problem, but sometimes people who have this like leaving jizzy surprises around the house problem can uh, branch out into the workplace and the world. Um, and I think you should have an explicit conversation with him about how that is a divorce offense. And he needs to, for the sake of you and the kids, uh, limit the expression of his, you know, spunk <laughs> to the home. That's true. Off of the house plants at work. All right. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Dan. You're welcome, and uh, I hope I'm never a guest in your house. <laughs> and no. I probably won't be after your husband <laughs> listens to this. Uh, all my advice for you. No. Well, you know, maybe I'll invite you over if I have ever a different husband. But, no. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much, and um, I'll definitely have a conversation with him. Okay, goodbye. On the upside, previous caller, your husband will be at a very low risk of prostate cancer. There's a report on the BBC this week from BBC News that masturbation cuts cancer risk uh, and says that men can reduce their risk of developing prostate cancer through regular masturbation. Um, your husband, from the sound of things, previous caller, could probably cure prostate cancer and other men by laying hands on their foreheads. Uh, that wraps it up. Um, thank you, everybody, for your calls. If you'd like to record a call for a future podcast, the number here, 206-201-2720, and you download the Savage Lovecast every week at thestranger.com slash savage, where I blog every day at slog.stranger.com. And uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for their very kind emails and calls about uh, my mother's recent death, which is terribly, terribly depressing. Uh, and she would not want to be memorialized on a program that covered all the bases that this one covered. So we're just going to move right on to giving you that phone number again. 206-201-2720 is the number. Please call. Try to keep your question to under a minute or two and leave a phone number where we can call you back and reach you and not 50 Cent. 